data-driven podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data-Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of Story IQ, Dominic Bohan. So today, Victoria and I will discuss why data-driven SaaS product development is so different from consumer products. Description about the different SaaS models. There are two different types of SaaS. There are multiple different SaaS business models, but there are two really uh, are popular. One is more popular now, consumption-based. You pay as you go. Um, this is uh, as if you are using the electricity. You only pay by single rate card of what you consume. There's many different ways you can be charged, right? For example, if you're using OpenAR, you're being charged by the tokens, right? The token itself has some, some calculation to it. But the number way, second way of doing things is you buy what we call license. And this is also existing in the uh, B2C world. You buy license that give you entitlement to certain credits of these things. So if you're thinking about consumer world and you're buying, let's say you and I go to online and we start buying Christmas gift and we still go through the order flow. And if the order flow really is bad, what we do as consumers, we probably will just abandon the shopping cart and do our shopping somewhere else, right? So the feedback loop of a bad product experiences in the consumer world is almost instant. It's very easy to detect. But if you are a SaaS world and you're license-based product, you sign a license contract. It holds valid for some period of time. So during this period of time, if you had a bad product experiences, it doesn't reflect on the revenue side of things. Your contract is already in place. Um, so as an analyst, when we are thinking about bad user experience today, we need to really imagine the future, how is this going to um, impact in, in the long-term customer loyalty. The same thing with great user experiences. We have a great experiences. How do we, you know, build upon that the great experiences and providing the customer even more delightful experiences on, you know, better and more products for them to consume. So I think this is what we mean by delayed ROI in a SaaS business that is license-based. So you've talked a little bit about the different licensing models that SaaS companies use consumption-based, based on things like transactions, tokens, data usage, versus license-based. And when it's license-based, we've got a particular delay in the signal where the client can see the ROI of the product um, and we can see what's happening. Can you tell us about why there is that delay and how we can be data-driven in anticipating 
what the data is going to tell us and making smart decisions? Yes. So if we are consumer ourselves, oftentimes our product experience directly influence the next thing we do in the consumer product. For example, if we are ordering a product from online marketplace, if we are really bothered about the order flow, we most likely abandon card and take our business everywhere. So it's instant and it's very trackable and it's very much easy to analyze. But in the SaaS world, um, we have this business model called license-based business model, which a company will contra contract with the SaaS business for a given amount of time, let's say one year or three years. And within this given time, users of those companies will use the product. But the decision whether to continue using the product or not is not a daily decision. It will come up during the contract with a new time frame. So how, as analysts, we connect the dots between the daily user experiences to the time when the renew comes up and the contract is being negotiated. And that's our job to make that connection. Even the timeline of that revenue decision is in the future. Understand the problem. How do we deal with it? <laughs> how do we do it? This is an excellent opportunity for us to build prediction models. And this is no different from other prediction models, but this prediction model has this three-year or one-year-out revenue division at one end as, as the, the output, and then has all these elements going into influence, potential influence at the division point, right? So we need to really understand not only how this product, how the product is being utilized, but also the trajectory of the product utilization. We not only need to look at a snapshot of a particular feature and particular user group at a point of time, we need to follow them and we need to create that trend line to know are they increasing usage in some areas? Are they decreasing usage something? Are they swapping out the product? What are they doing in the product? And this trend line, which we have the luxury to collect because we have this period of time where contract is valid to build into that prediction model. So that is going to be the key point for us to influence that decision point and detect some worrying signal early on and then intervene to make sure that our customer continue to receive the best value from the product they already purchased. Now, that sounds tricky, right? Because we can track usage and we can start to see a trend line form. Maybe we've tracked the first few months of data. And when you first look at a trend line, it's hard to tell if that's going to turn into an exponential curve or a linear curve or... Could it be that we often get a nice little spike when we first onboard people because they're excited about it and then it dips down? What techniques can you use to extrapolate some of those early signals into meaningful predictions? Prediction is definitely a technique that will benefit with more data points. <laughs> if you have really seen data points, the prediction is never going to be accurate as it possible. So 
I think the generally speaking, what we want to do is, as an analyst, we need to influence the company. In the end, the umbrella of being data driven is to really know what is going on with the product within the product. So, instrumentation is very important for company, especially in the SaaS business. So collecting data from day one is very important because, as you said, Dominic, if we do not have instrumentation on certain product future from day one. We have even thinner data to work with to feed into a prediction model. So, as part of the product launches at the SaaS business, we usually would like to be at a table by we, I mean, analysts and data scientists. We would like to be at the table and asking, "How do you know the product is success? What's your criteria of product success in the definition of the product managers and the product owners?" And we want to translate that into a data point which we can track, because if we cannot track and build into metrics, we cannot feed model. Model need to be fed <laughs> data. So we want to be at the table in the very initial stage of product design and launches and translate that product success criteria into a data point that we can actually start tracking and make sure that we track that on day one. So as the data grows, the prediction model will become more and more accurate. That's the only way to do it. There is unfortunately no other way to do it.、Um, some other prediction model you can buy products. Some other prediction model you can use in pseudo data.、Um, but if you really want to understand a particular product itself, the best is to use the data about the product. Makes sense. So. A lot of it comes down to not just how we analyze the data, but ensuring we're capturing the right data in the first place. You're absolutely right. When we are looking at a job description of a data analyst and data scientist, right? And I wrote a lot of job requirements, so we know. And you're often looking at requiring technical skills, as a SQL or Python, so on and so forth. You also hear the words like being analytical thinking,、uh, being hands-on, being able to deal with all this question framing and everything. But how often do you actually see the show sub say you need to actually understand data models and instrumentation technology? Sorry, can you just define what we mean by instrumentation technology? Absolutely. So let's say you have a product, a single feature that's being launched and. You have ten users, and let's just say the single feature is a button, right? There's ten users click on a button. What do you want to know? You want to know there are ten different users click on the same button, right? That's instrumentation. Certain technical code could tell you, and turning that into ten click button, button clicks into a data point in your data warehouse. Okay, got it. So it's turning actions, the things we actually want to measure, into data, into data points. Okay, thank you. Into a data point. Exactly, 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 exactly. So what's more fascinating is, let's say, the button you five people clicked is in the car. The other five button people clicked is sitting on a fridge somewhere. 
you're starting adding the contextual information, which makes that button click probably behavior different. So not only now you need to actually understand the button being clicked, you also understand the contextual information of where the button is being clicked. All right. So you started adding more things into your instrumentation. And then you're getting some other fascinating point, which is definitely going to be guided by a lot of compliances, security, and other legal guidances about who clicked the button. Right. So all this information connected to give you more and more rich information about the product, true product experience, and then help to driving the right kind of instrumentation. Instrumentation is a way to turn the real world into a digital data points. That is my simple <laughs> definition of instrumentation. Okay, perfect. That makes a lot of sense. So we've got to get the instrumentation right. If we do that and we collect enough data, we can make predictions. And if we can bring that to the last mile, what sort of predictions are we trying to make? What is the goal when we're trying to take that delayed signal, use it to predict something, and then is the end goal to be able to drive a renewal? Is that really what we're culminating towards? Or a, a renewal or even an increased renewal or upsell of licenses, if we're talking about the license-based model? I truly believe the best company is a customer-first company, right? So what I mean by that is a company should not only drive revenue, but also should really bring value to customers. If you bring value to customers, revenue is a byproduct, so to speak, to that. So when we are detecting those product experiences and then link it to a prediction model, what we are trying to figure out is what success com customers, success customers defined not only by the revenue size, but also defined by they're truly getting value from our product. What is the success customer using and how they're using it? What is the pattern usage, right? And then we would like to use that to looking at some customers, maybe not in that particular stage or sophistication or some other type of hurdles preventing those customers to be successful. And we would like actually taking those best practices and knowledge to the other customer, helping to be more successful, and the revenue will become an inevitable outcome if we do so. So our goal is always back to what we said earlier, making recommendation to the part of the company that could take action and driving those values for our customers and then helping long-term financial success of the company. That makes a lot of sense rather than just tracing directly after the revenue. So is one of the biggest things we're trying to drive then adoption. So we're looking at who are the early adopters within this company and who's maybe not using their licenses. How do we support those people to start using it? Would that be an example of the sort of analytics we're trying to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is where we are going to be the customer centric and the customer first the company. And I think every business, regardless of the size and and product is willing is wanting to to become a very important part of SaaS business is amazing channels we can utilize to help our customer to become successful. Again, reaching back to the consumer world, if I am a consumer, I'm struggling with order. What kind of signal do I get from 
the company, the marketplace to help me with that. I may get an in-app team say, are you struggling? I see you have a problem. Do you want to talk to customer success, right? Or I get an email saying, I see you abandoned a card or something. Can I help you with that? Or some cases, they even offer you discount to nudge you to actually take the action. Not to mention, I'm pretty sure there's an army of analysts analyzing my online behavior and make sure this order flow is great, right? Those are the actions you can take. In the SaaS businesses, there's even more venues we can take action. If a customer is not adopting as well as some other customers, we definitely can make the product better if that's the case. We can offer to help them implement the product better if that's the case. We can also, you know, train their users because sometimes a early adopter are the people who are more technical savvy. They know how to actually work with this piece of technology. And there are going to be many people who are not there yet, right? And so we actually have a, you know, a, a, a training, uh, a self-training portal that helping all those users to learn how to use new technology. And that could be the reason for the adoption issue. So there's many venues in the SaaS business to help the users and the customers to become successful. And my opinion is we should be utilizing all of it to drive those value for our customers. Awesome. So to summarize, three main levers we can pull, and we're looking for signals to help us pull these levers. So improve the product itself improve the implementation of the product, and then improve the adoption of the product, improve the uptake and help the customer get it out to more people and get people using it more frequently. And so we're looking for signals as how we can improve on those three key levers, if you like. Absolutely. Back to our why question. If our customer is not successful using our product, why? <laughs> there may be more than three, but those whys become our North Star of analytical. Thanks. So we're circling back to yesterday's episode for those that missed it, especially in the SaaS business, but I do think this is applicable across data analytics broadly. Victoria has reminded us, always ask why. Why do you want something? Why do you want this report? Why do you want this feature? What's the underlying problem the customer is trying to solve? And then ask it again. Keep iteratively asking that to get to the bottom of it. I think that's great advice to anyone that's doing data and analytics. And know when to stop. You have enough information. Act. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So we don't turn our data and analytics work into philosophy. We don't keep going to the level of why do I exist? Why does the universe exist? We stop at a practical level. Absolutely. You know, in today's world, everything's moving super fast. As analysts, we definitely are often asked to answer yesterday's question. The decision needs to be made in the minute. So while we have a huge amount of data to crunch, more and more data to crunch, and more and more fabulous tools to help us to get the answer faster, we still need to know that 80% of those answers oftentimes is relying on knowing enough about the truth, not the whole truth. So why the curiosity is very important because we don't want to miss a very not obvious areas that could drive in the real growth of the company or unlock product growth, uh, product uh, potential. We also don't want to become just 
so ingrained in our analytical data world and without actually getting the recommendations and answers to the people who need them to make decisions. So I think the balance is important, but it's an art, honestly, Dominic. Everybody, every analyst will learn their own art, just like a ninja, just like a warrior. And that, that's a great way of putting it. And that ties back to something you mentioned in the first episode, which is we're not shooting for perfection here. In fact, we can't ever get the perfect answer to any question that we're 100% certain of. Sometimes good enough is okay. And perhaps we can round out with just one more question. How can we get a sense of when an answer is good enough, when we should stop analyzing to death and proceed and accept some level of uncertainty? We often say data make you have a false sense of accuracy. As if you have a data point, you kind of know this will happen. The world will go the way I want it, right? And there's even the psychological test is if you can give people a very specific number when negotiate, your negotiation have high likelihood to be accepted. So instead of saying, Dominic, I'll pay you $400 for the table, I would say, Dominic, I'll pay you $432 for the table. <laughs> it sounds more accurate, right? So I think... Right. It sounds like you know what you're talking about. Like you've put some effort into calculating it. I know what I'm talking about, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I would say is nobody knows. Sometimes we need to have really good intuition as well to say, I've looked at the data. This gives me enough confidence that we should actually experiment this method. Let's experiment, test out and see works. If it doesn't work, let's shift in the gear and do something else. We can do this today with all the technical platform that we currently build our product on, right? And so having enough data and experiment and admitted mistakes very early, but also be patient with success. Sometimes success doesn't show up next day. I think all those things become a part of running businesses and the data analytics team are not so different. Is We are partner of running the business together and we will offer the good enough information and experiment and measure it and come back and try it again. Thanks. If I could really try and summarize that, it's all valuable advice, but to really simplify it, are we saying data analytics people are no different from anyone else? Anyone else, you go hire a plumber to come and fix your bathroom. You don't expect them to have a perfect answer. You're going to rely on their expertise built up from years of experience. And there is an element of gut feel. And so data scientists, data analysts are no different. Data is not a magical tool that's going to give them a perfect answer or make them an oracle. They're using data, they're using modeling techniques, but they're also using intuition, common sense, creativity, and critical thinking. You're absolutely right. You mentioned one really great word there is creative. Heard the saying a long time ago, the best software engineers are very creative. And when I heard this term, I don't understand it. Like, you're coders. How could you be creative? The same thing with based analysts and data scientists. We are creative profession as well. Thanks. I absolutely agree. I think that's a perfect way to round out. So thank you for joining us again on the Data Driven Podcast and for sharing so many useful and practical insights for us today. Happy analyzing, everyone. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks, Victoria.